Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, inquirers, and welcome to the expanse of deep, open-minded conversation. I'm the one they call Shane, and in today's discussion, we uncover some of the dark history that lingers in America's past and the cause and effect it has had on our folklore. And of course, we dive into some of the wondrous creatures that are birthed from it. But before we get into that, we of course have to do the front of house. So if you aren't already following the show across social media, highly recommend that you do if you want to get updates on anything new and interesting going on with the show. Of course, Instagram is the one I'm the most active on, but you guys can check us out on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Discord. And uh, as far as Discord goes, it'd be really cool if some of you guys hopped in on there. There's a lot more going on in the Discord. I'm trying to build that up as much as possible to form a community of all of you awesome people out there. But the only way I'm going to be able to keep making that work and keep doing that is if you guys hop in, do some interaction, become part of the Inquirer community slash Bizarre Encounters. I guess it kind of accompanies all of it. But uh, definitely, if you guys want to have some awesome conversations with some like-minded individuals, definitely go and check out the Discord. Can't promote that enough. And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show or having me as a guest on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show in some way, shape, or form, or if you just want to have a conversation with me, you guys can get a hold of me through social media. Instagram is the one I'm the most active on, but you guys can definitely message me on Facebook also, or you guys can email me at inquiriesourrealitypodcast.outlook.com, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and of course, that goes directly to my email. And uh, make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders, make sure nothing gets missed in the process, because again, I do respond to every single message that I get from you guys. And if you guys have an encounter that you guys want to report, no matter how big, no matter how small, paranormal, uh, cryptids, aliens, uh, UFOs, uh, anything anomalous, anything interesting like that, you guys can report those to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys go with a link tree and there is a separate submission form for that. I believe it's the third tab down. It says report an encounter. 
And uh, depending on what you want to do with it, we can have a little bit of back and forth. Either one, I can read on the show, give you guys a shout out, or we can just discuss it one-on-one, or you guys could possibly be a guest on the show. Or if I'm somewhat near you, maybe we can. E- I can even get out and be able to investigate it. But if you guys want to keep the encounters between us, that's definitely possible. We can just have a discussion about it. Maybe I can help you out with it a little bit. Or again, if you guys want to get featured on the show, just let me know. And of course, like I said, we'll have some back and forth if you guys shoot me a message about any of that. And uh, if you guys can't get enough of the weird stuff I do, you guys can go and check out Bizarre Encounters, my other show that I do with my awesome co-host, Oren. Uh, We deep dive into the paranormal, cryptids, aliens, anomalous things, anything weird like that. Uh, We deep we do our own research on stuff. We have some back and forth. We have some fun discussions. Uh, sometimes there's guests on the show, but it's a little bit different of a format. That sounds like something you guys might be interested in. Definitely recommend going and checking that out. If you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do all in one place, you guys can go and follow Open Minds Media across social media. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one that I'm trying to build up as much as possible is the Patreon. You'll get things over there such as ad-free episodes of the show, early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show, exclusive merch store discounts, uh, exclusive giveaways, um, Patreon exclusive shows such as the other show that I'm starting up, Bizarre Inquiries, and the first unofficial episode slash first episode are already dropped on the Patreon if you guys want to go and check that out. Uh, I believe some of them I'll probably drop onto the normal feed to get you guys over there if you guys aren't already checking it out. But uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of exclusive content going on over there, and I'm going to keep trying to build that up as much as possible as far as 2024 goes. And if you guys have any suggestions for the Patreon, I'm more than happy to hear them. I want to try to give you guys what you want as far as that content goes. And at least over there too, you don't just get one show. You also get Bizarre Encounters and any other shows that I do all in one place, Open Minds Media Patreon. And if you guys want to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. If you just want to buy me a coffee to make it so I can stay up late and keep editing and doing all the different stuff for the show, definitely appreciated. A majority of that's going to go toward being able to get out to more events, to be able to meet more of you guys, uh, make more opportunities as far as possibly speaking at events, stuff like that. all goes back into the show because I'm trying to continue to build up and grow the show as much as I possibly can this year. And uh, the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media merch store. Over there, I got designs for Inquiries of Reality, Bizarre Encounters, some other cryptid designs. Definitely going to be updating as far as different holiday designs. Uh, there's always going to be something relatively new on there. I'm going to try to drop new designs monthly. So if you guys want to go and support the show, it's an awesome way to do so. Uh, there is random promo codes that get dropped on the Instagram and stuff here and there. And of course, if you guys join the Patreon, you guys do get exclusive merch store discounts depending on which tier you guys pick. And number four, as far as supporting the show, you guys can do so through leaving a review or rating on iTunes or Spotify or whatever other podcatcher you use. And uh, if I can find that review, which I definitely check frequently, I'll, of course, read it on the show and give you guys a big shout out. If you haven't already, highly recommend going and checking out I Know Squatch. They got a lot of really awesome Sasquatch type gear. Uh, They got their really cool exclusive creeper design and they also have these really cool baseball looking hats that say the word whoop on it, of course, which for everybody that's familiar, that is the call of the Sasquatch. And for any other cryptid that you guys might want to be might be interested in, including Sasquatch, of course, but done in a totally different manner, you guys can go and check out Crypto Theology. Joe is always dropping new awesome designs. And I know right now he is in between convention season, so he should be dropping a bunch of awesome stuff really, really soon. He sent me a couple different things he was working on. And guys, I think you guys are really going to enjoy some of the new stuff he's going to be dropping very, very soon. And to all my paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. It is the all-in-one paranormal investigating device. I use it anytime I go out. It is my personal favorite device that I have at my disposal. 
And uh, if you guys have any questions about it whatsoever, you guys can message Barry over there on Dimension Devices. He is the guy that programmed and developed it, of course. So we can answer literally any question that you might have on the device. And of course, don't forget to use our affiliate link if you go and pick yourself up one of those. Uh, it helps out the show immensely, and I greatly appreciate it if you guys would. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available on the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, author and researcher, Susan Fair. How's it going today? Hello, it's all good. How are you? Not doing too bad at all. This is the second show I've recorded today, so I absolutely love it when I get to do stuff like that. It's like a little bit of a warm-up and everything. And uh, it's also super cool to reconnect with you after uh, meeting you back at uh, that cryptid Halloween event that Dave slash Snarly Yao put on. So I always love it when I can reconnect with people and have people on the show (laughs) after meeting him at conventions. Yes, it was super fun. Super fun. He did another one um, for Christmas, um, like the week before Christmas. I think it was a Krampus Christmas market. And I attended that. I didn't vend there, but I... I attended and did a lot of Christmas shopping there. (laughs) (laughs) I would have done the same. I saw him post a bunch of pictures of it. I saw he had like that setup where it was like a photo booth or something. You could take a picture with like Krampus or something. Yeah, super fun. (laughs) I wish I could have made it out to that. I told him maybe next year I can make it out. But just because of Christmas falling with the kids and everything, I wasn't able to make that one. But it looked like a lot of fun. And I regret not being able to go this time. It was packed too. Definitely packed. Dave definitely has a way with people. He can draw everybody in because he's just such a wonderful, nice, awesome dude. (laughs) He is super friendly and easygoing, definitely. (laughs) So uh, considering that, you know, I had met you there, um, I know that Oren, my co-host on Bizarre Encounters, bought a couple of your books and everything like that. Um, To get everything rolling, uh, why don't you let people know a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do and a little bit about your books? Okay, well... I am here in Western Maryland right now, actually Boonesboro, uh, Maryland, in Washington County. And um, I am recently retired from a very long career uh, with the public library system. And I've written several books. Um, One is Mysteries and Lore of Western Maryland. And one is called American Witches, a broomstick tour through four centuries. One is Pilgrim Confidential, shocking true stories of the pilgrims in the strange new world. And one little one um, of Maryland spells. So, and um, I um, and just... I've always been very interested in um, weird things, like most of us who get involved um, in this kind of stuff, Um, like just started being interested in it when we were kids and watched in search of and all that kind of stuff. Um, And it's a great way to kind of connect with history, I think, um, because you find out so much about the history of a place when you're Uh, trying to research um, its legends and weirdness. And um, I think um, reading like first person accounts from history, um, especially like early American history is like what I enjoy the most. 
all the colonial paranormal folklore stuff. It's that's my bread and butter too. I absolutely yes. love hearing about that stuff. Really? Oh, excellent. Yeah. I mean, times were rough back then. I mean, it was they were very dark days for sure, and you know, a lot of dark moments in American history too. Creates a lot of dark, really interesting folklore. All the same, though, because I mean, it's their way of rationalizing and trying to understand the weird things that are happening around them. I mean, whether you believe in the paranormal or not, there is definitely something that need to be understood through some type of paranormal paradigm. Right, right. And when, um, like, the Europeans first started coming, you know, to America, they had, like, no idea what was such a, you know, a huge country, and they had no idea what was out there, you know, so couldn't rule out monsters, <laughs> that's for sure. Talk about the whole idea of arriving to a new land and not knowing where the other side of it ends. It's just mm-hmm. an endless, vast area of who knows what could possibly exist there and it's hard to like fathom that now just because of you know all of us pretty much knowing like generally like what a map of the world looks like even if there is some stuff that may not be marked as far as islands and not getting into conspiracies but people claim there's land masses that aren't marked but just the whole idea of just alive arriving in a new place and not knowing where it could end like it could be five miles in that direction or it could be a couple thousand miles in that direction. You have no idea. And in between, exactly. who knows what other animals, creatures, all of that stuff could exist in between. Exactly. Exactly. They, I think in the very beginning, like, um, they, like people came to Jamestown and, and even earlier, like they thought that there was going to be like some little shortcut, uh, you know, that took you straight across this continent and, um, you know, right to where they were set up to like trade with, you know, China and everything. And, um, you know, was not to be, but. <laughs> I still like the whole fact that uh, they, they landed here and originally they thought that they had landed in India. So they started calling the natives Indians and that terminology still gets used today, which is just absolutely baffles me that the whole idea of why they called them Indians was out of essentially a mistake of thinking that they landed in India. So it's like, why, why are we, why do people still use that context and wording for it? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have a, uh a history of a lot of ignorance when it comes to the indigenous people, you know, who were here in this country, you know, in this land, I should say, before, you know, thousands and thousands of years before, you know, people came from Europe. And all of their and, sites um, that they didn't know how to understand, they just put the word devil on it. <laughs> just called it yes, a day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's for sure. So I know I uh, really want to get into some of the local folklore as far as Maryland goes. Um, but before we get into that, of course, um, if you don't mind, I'm sure that uh, people that would love to check out your books, um, if you want to kind of give them just like a quick idea about what each of your individual books are about. And then after that, we can kind of get into the meat and potatoes as far as Maryland goes. Oh, okay, sure. Um, well, the little one here, Marilyn Spells, this was um, just kind of a compilation of a lot of weird um, folklore and spells that were um, used back in the day in Maryland. Um, for, uh, just a random one that I opened to. Um, if you touch a corpse, the ghost of the dead person will not haunt you. 
So that's good to keep in mind to come in handy. I don't know. I haven't tried any of these myself. So I wonder if that's where that whole idea came from that at like funerals, they leave the casket open and people say their goodbyes and they like touch the body and stuff. I wonder if that's like where that originated from was this belief that if you touch the body that it wouldn't haunt you after. I don't know. I guess that's possible. It's possible. Just in case to be safe, make sure that everybody who goes to a funeral, if you think it's somebody that might haunt you, if you had like a weird uncle or something, just give him a poke. (laughs) (laughs) Can't be too too safe. Um, And this, the one um, Pilgrim Confidential, um, I actually wrote to um, coincide with the 400th anniversary of the uh, uh, founding of Plymouth Colony. Um, And um, unfortunately, their whole entire 400th anniversary got quite disrupted up there um, by COVID (laughs) in uh, 2020. But um, it's definitely very interesting um, era, the founding of um, Plymouth. I mean, when you consider like half of the people who came on the Mayflower, like died, you know, by the end of the first winter. Um, on top of probably losing half of them on the ship on the way over in the first place. So they're probably down to like a quarter of them after the first winter of what they originally had left with. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Um, they, there were, um, there was one suicide. Um, there was, um, something they called the general sickness that went through um, uh, the people um, who had come on the ship and the um, sailors and the ship actually had to stay there um, and winter um, because they ended up not getting to as we know they didn't get to um, Plymouth until uh, or get to New England which they thought was Virginia at the time um, until um, the end of November, and they didn't start like actually building their um, shelters on land until um, December, the end of December. So they had terrible, like they really had like no shelter. Um, did they leave the there's... boat to like hunt and stuff, or, or, or did they try to like maintain on supplies that they had on the ship already? They spent a lot of time just, um, like the men from the ship, of course, um, uh, spent a lot of time wandering around, kind of exploring. Um, and one of the very first things they did um, was to dig up um, an Indian grave. Smart. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so respectful. That's a good, great start there. Guys. We all know the weird paranormal stuff that ends up happening when you do that. So that's a great start yes. of landing in a new land. Let's dig up a grave. <laughs> exactly. It's all downhill from there. And uh, um, one of the next things they did was to steal a bunch of corn that um, the uh, native people had buried um, for winter. Um, they stole that, and the pot it came in, I believe, and they um, also um, shot at some Indians um, that they saw who had um, who had like come to try and figure out, you know, what they were doing. They wanted to send the message that um, 
you know, we're dangerous and don't mess with us, basically. Um, uh, and it was um, mostly the Wampanoag people who um, were in the area. And um, uh, so anyway, the, uh, the Europeans, they did not make um, a very good impression, you know. Um, so it was kind of par for the course as far as um, how a relationship with the indigenous peoples and the European people would go and how the European people would treat and view um, the people who were already here occupying the land. And um, American witches um, kind of ties in with that because by the end of the 1600s, um, uh, people were being executed as witches in Salem and uh, on several occasions um, before, before Salem as well. And um, that was like a very, very nasty combination of superstition, um, some folklore and religion. A lot of religion played into it more than anything. Um, and um, this also, the um, witch book also gets into some other um, great witch uh, stories uh, from America. Um, uh, instances where people were accused of being witches or claimed to be witches, um, things like um, uh, there. I I don't know if you've heard of Booger Hole, West Virginia. I don't think that I have. Um, no, <laughs> um, it's not really a place anymore. But like uh, the beginning of the 1900s, there was. Um, uh, accusations of witchcraft going on um, and a, just a lot of weirdness going on in that um, area um, and um, I guess they should have learned to store their rye properly so they weren't getting the argot and it's argot right that's how you say it they were getting the fungus on the rye that was causing them to have like psychedelic effects from it and then they were seeing stuff that wasn't necessarily happening as they perceived uh, it mm -hmm. I think um I think there was like um, some uh, research done on that, and I don't think that that they kind of have landed on that as being what it ultimately was. Um, that it was, it's the accusations like in Salem originated, you know, with these young girls, but um, what the girls the uh, symptoms of their possession um, and bewitchment were very much um, like the symptoms that had been described um, by increasing Cotton Mather, um, mainly Cotton Mather at that point, the reverends, um, Boston reverends, um, who um, had already written about cases of um, witchcraft and bewitchment um, in Europe and also an alleged case um, that had happened in Boston um, the, of the Goodman children um, some years before Salem. And the 
girls in Salem pretty much imitated a lot of the things that um, they that were in these books, and um, they may not have actually read the books themselves, but the, certainly they would have heard the stories. I mean, there wasn't a lot of you know literature going around in uh, in New England at the time. Certainly, that would have been um, something that would have caught the attention of children um and young girls um i mean i'm assuming it's probably built into their folklore regardless just coming from europe because a lot of people they associate the witch trials with america but it was just as prevalent over in europe and on top of that they had all like the werewolf trials in europe where they were accusing people of being werewolves so it's like it was already heavily built into their folklore so of course it was just going to get carried on over here and in turn anybody starts doing anything weird people are going to start pointing the (laughs) finger even if, you know, yeah. a lot of the time it could have just been like a neighbor somebody didn't like or a young girl that they didn't like because maybe they tried to make some type of advancement and she didn't have it. So they couldn't have that coming back on them. So then they accuse them of being a witch. Like, I think there's a lot of personal reasons on top of all uh, of that and why people are being there accused. Were, yes, there were a lot of grudges associated with um, with um, according to who was being accused and all definitely people use the opportunity to to get back at people or and um but um there were also uh, like other things at play um like the terrible relationship between the um colonists and the early people um of new england and um the local native population um there were had been you know by the time of uh salem there had already been like um you know attacks um wars with the indians basically and um one of the girls one of the first girls to become possessed had actually um was living with a family um that wasn't her um family her family had been um killed in an attack by indians um and which she had presumably witnessed and she i she had been um held hostage people would be like held and then ransomed and um it was very very complex and more than what you know i even you know i'm not an authority or scholar to speak on it but it was a lot to do with the um the french who were um settling you know um in the canadian areas and the french were had a lot to gain by enlisting um the local um native peoples um into you know helping to fight against the english who were in places where the French wanted to be. Yeah, just trying to fight so, for territory, essentially, and just yes, taking advantage of yep. the land and the people mm-hmm. that were already there and probably offering them goods and this and that in order to, yes. to fight. Because, I mean, Native Americans didn't have guns. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. like the ultimate thing to trade right there. If you're European, you just offer them guns and then mm-hmm. makes their hunting a million times easier, makes protecting their fortifications a million times easier. So you can pretty much get them to do anything if you offer them some type of magic boomstick that's just going to knock down any animal without any type of, you know, trying, trying to understand archery or anything like that. <laughs> right. They, I mean, of, of course, the, you know, European settlers exploited 
um, you know, all of the indigenous peoples, you know, in every way they could possibly, you know, think of. <laughs> a lot of dark history that gets covered up. They don't really get taught in school. I mean, there was a lot of like the settlers and stuff, giving them blankets that were infested with diseases that they weren't familiar with just to take them out of certain areas that they could take over the land. Again, manipulation of the people in order to, attack other people so that you could take over those settlements like there's a lot of dark history involved with all of that that tends to get left out in a lot of history until you really start digging into it so much dark history and um, by the time um uh the year the, there were by the time colonies were established even um there are estimates that over 90 percent of the original in, indigenous population of the americas had already died off like was reduced by that much um by the diseases brought but from europe and by the murders and the um other exploitation i mean people were you know stolen you know from um you know america and taken to Europe and other places, you know, to be slaves. And um, so... Makes you wonder how many tribes may have been forgotten in the process of that happening that we were never even aware that they even existed just because of the fact that the most of the natives were nomadic. So it's like there wasn't buildings to rediscover their history, anything. So essentially, if they were wiped out, there's nothing left. Nobody even knows they even existed because nothing's really left besides like possibly like burial areas or whatever. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we tend to, you know, think of the um, indigenous peoples as they were like when the Europeans got here, you know, and that's like, you know, the snapshot of like, okay, this is how it was. But, you know, they, they've been there for thousands of years, you know, they were, you know. That was probably nowhere near the peak. That was like the downfall of their society, essentially. Um, basically, yes. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to the Europeans. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Divide and conquer conquest. It's, yeah. It goes a long way and destroys a lot of things. <laughs> it definitely does. It definitely does. Especially when you bring a lot of diseases and, uh, um, and then not to change the subject, but the mysteries in Northwestern Maryland is, uh, about local legends and lore from um this part of the state of maryland which is western maryland um and there's a lot of colorful history in this area um and um not the least of which is the snarty yow um and by that i don't mean our friend dave <laughs> the snarly yow i mean the actual there was an actual creature called the snarly yow um in maryland so that's that's one of our um good cryptids here there hasn't been a sighting because it is dave dave transforms into the snarly owl <laughs> does anybody ask dave how old he is how long he's been here for <laughs> i don't know it's he's mysterious <laughs> mysteriously nice that's the funny yes, part he, is. he really is he's too nice he's not he's not snarly <laughs> so i know uh on this show I haven't dived too far into uh, like the cryptids of Maryland, 
Um, so if you'd like to, um, I'd like to kind of do a little, little touch on each of them. If you'd like, um, you know, as far as some of your favorite ones that you possibly covered in the book or just like the most prolific ones in the area, um, maybe even some of the paranormal stuff, but, uh, for anybody that may not be familiar with like the background of Maryland's folklore, um, might as well give them kind of like a round view of a bunch of different folklore as far as Maryland goes. Okie doke. Well, um, I will start with the Snarly Yowl because the um, cool thing about the Snarly Yowl is uh, the Snarly Yowl actually has his own wayside marker here um, along the road in uh, Washington County. It's kind of on the border of Frederick and Washington County. Um, And there's a wayside marker um, that shows the National Road, um, which was... um, one of the earliest roads in the country and um the snarly owl has his very own panel and i should be able to just show you real quick this is a close-up of the panel um on the wayside marker um and it says beware of the snarly owl Uh, It says, legend has it that the shadow of a black dog used to prowl the heights of South Mountain. One night, a huntsman famous as a sure shot encountered the beast. He aimed and fired his rifle. The shot went right through the animal with no effect. He fired again and again, each shot passing through the shadowy beast. Finally, overcome with dread, the huntsman fled. Which is pretty cool. This guy looks a little bit like a mangy wolf or something i don't think it really does the snarly yell justice but it's still very cool to see like a cryptid type monster on a historical marker along the road um and the reason that um we know about uh all this stuff about the snarly yell is because um in the 1880s, um, a woman named Madeline Vitton Dahlgren um, bought an old inn along the National Road outside of Boonesboro and um, turned it into her summer house. And she was um, an author and she was very interested in all the local legends and lore that the mountain dwelling folks whom she didn't think super highly of, by the way. Um, She was very interested in all their legends. um, And they would tell her stories about um, all the different um, hauntings and unexplained uh, cryptid-type creatures. And she actually collected the stories and put them together and made a book, um, uh, South Mountain Magic. And in the book, she actually interviewed um, local people and like the story from the Wayside Marker comes from her book. Um, And that was um, the person that that's happened to that um, uh, uh, tried to um, fight the uh, snarly, the snarly yell. Um, actually told her that story firsthand and there were like quite a few people who gave her their accounts of um, confronting the snarly yow. So um, in addition to the um, 
the guy um, who tried shooting him, there was another um, man who told her that um, he tried to fight it um, and that he said his fists would go right through um, the beast. And the snarly owl is kind of um, a version of like the very common like black dog um kind of like a ghost slash cryptid um and those stories definitely you know came from the old country and but not just that like really like um all over the world like you know it is a very common um cryptid uh, or ghost sometimes depending on how you want to look at it but like a large black dog um is definitely like a real archetype of um of uh cryptid at, or f- for folklore and um like black shuck is a prime example as far as like european right, goes right but it seems like just the idea of a big black ghostly dog seems very native folklore so it's kind of it's kind of like a weird mix between that. Like I'm I'm sure that natives had their own variation of these black dog operations that would exist in America, but again, it happened in Europe too. So it's like there's this idea that it seems like it's like a like an international phenomenon that seems to be talked about everywhere and it has different roots everywhere. So who knows where like it originated from necessarily. I feel like it all kind of blended together at a certain point and now we kind of assume it to be with European folklore even though it's more than likely a mix of both. Right, right, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, um, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure I've read, you know, versions of it from, you know, like... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Far Eastern countries and, you know, everywhere. Um, just like how, you know, the different cultures might have different versions of the flood, you know, story or whatever, whatever you know, the Great Flood. Um, so... Um, you know, which could be lumped with folklore. But, um, uh, so quite a few people told Madeline Dahlgren that 
you know, they had encountered the snarly yell. It chased the people talked about uh, it chasing them. Um, but it seemed to be like the idea of the snarly yell seemed to be that he um, kind of was guarding the national road and didn't like letting folks pass by. Um, so um, it's, it seemed to be uh, a pretty common experience, according to the people who lived on South Mountain back then. Sounds like a native so. spirit trying to like block off territory or something. So see, even with that, it just sounds very like native to me because it kind of has that idea that you hear with a lot of American folklore that it's something native based that was created summoned in order to keep people away from a specific area because it's a sacred ground for example right it would be really great you know to know you know like like what sort of folklore you know um came from the indigenous people in the you know here in this area um i mean like the earliest um you know uh, people that you know I know about are are just like um, Iroquois um, who were kind of pushed into this area, you know, by the whole you know Europeans coming and stirring things up, and you know different tribes and um, Indian nations fighting with each other and sort of moving further down into this area. Um, and, you know, obviously there's not a whole lot known about, you know, who was here, like, you know, before that. You know, all the native stuff is all oral folklore. So as soon as right. a group passes away, somebody doesn't pass on the story, then it's essentially gone at that point. <laughs> right. And when so many people, so much of the population was literally killed off at once, like so much, you know, just like expired. I mean, not at once, but over the course of, you know, decades, literally, you know, it's just like so much of that folklore. See, kind of a weird thing to think about. And I don't know if you necessarily know the answer to this, but with a lot of native words, it seems like there's multiple spellings for those. And considering everything was an oral tradition, I mean, I, again, I don't know for sure. I'm just kind of guessing here, but I'm assuming that there wasn't necessarily a written language as far as native language goes. And the characters that people started creating, like I said, multiple spellings for one native word, I'm assuming came from Eng or from English settlers, European settlers, just European settlers in general coming mm -hmm. and then trying to create a written variation of that language. But for the natives, I don't, I don't think there is necessarily like a written language, right? Um, I don't know a lot about it, but I, I don't think there is a lot of that. No, but I think that, um, I think, like, I know that, like, in New England, um, like, in on trails, like, through the woods, um, you know, that the um, natives had been using, they would, like, put, like, posts sometimes that might have certain markings on them, and that would, that would kind of tell a story about something that had happened there, like, marking something, like... Yeah, it's like symbols and drawings instead of actual, like, characters being written out. Uh-huh. And I, yeah, I 
don't at know it all as much as I'd like to or should or understand as much, you know, about, um, you know, the indigenous cultures and history. I really don't. But, um, I mean, they're definitely, you know, dog-like creatures in, um, in native folklore that we know about. Um, uh, some very creepy ones. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot were probably lost too because of just how many natives were passing away all at once because of all the different diseases they brought over. So I'm sure that the stuff that we do know about as far as native creatures and folklore goes is probably only like 20% of what did exist throughout history. Right, right. And like when the, um, as far, especially like the, when New England was settled, um, you know, from my reading, you know, about the pilgrims and and the pilgrims, like um, William Bradford, you know, left. He was kind of like their, you know, leader. And, um, you know, there was a, there were a lot of written accounts left by them. And one of the main things they were interested in as far as writing was translating um, the Bible for so that the um, native people could understand it and you know become um, what they called praying Indians. Um, so that was that was um, kind of that was their goal. Uh, I guess that's probably one of the first goals when it comes to conquest is they want to get especially back in the day they wanted to get everybody into their religious views because they saw everybody as savages for having multiple deities, multiple gods. They wanted everybody to be on that, that same practice. And if not, they would just slaughter them. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. Um, and you know, I, they felt they were doing the Lord's work, you know, but that was another way they used to justify, you know, trying to conquer the people, you know, to, cause they were trying to, you know, bring them to whatever religion, that's why all their native grounds are called the devil's this, the devil's that, the devil's that, is because they're just trying to demonize their entire culture. I mean, that's even essentially what happened with the Wendigo. Um, I know I've talked about it a few times in the show, but like the whole idea of like what the Wendigo looks like is nothing like what the natives described. And I think that the whole idea about when it had the skull and the horns and all of that was because of Europeans telling the story and then trying to have that demonic connotation involved into their folklore, even though... Again, a Wendigo would be more of like a like a zombie-like looking creature than it would be, you know, like a half man, half beast, skull-headed, antlered creature. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't see. I didn't know that, but it sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because usually what people talk about is like rakes or pale crawlers, if you're familiar with any of those terms, are generally like how the natives would have described like the Wendigos. So I think that a oh. lot of the Wendigo... You know, the, a lot of the cases where people describe seeing pale crawlers or um, creepy, yeah, just any of those things that are rakes that it's they, that the more than likely those are probably actually like the windigos that the natives talk about. Like, I, I don't know if you kind of look at this stuff as you know, being just the, the folklore aspect of it, or if there's actually like a belief that some of this stuff might actually exist. But at least for me, I believe that some of this stuff definitely exists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's kind of my connotation on it is that a lot of people talks about pale crawlers or rakes. Not a lot of people have Wendigo experiences, but I think it's because they're looking at the wrong archetype for like what they're actually experiencing right. or seeing. So then they created a whole new subsection yeah. of folklore for something that already existed. <laughs> that's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I always kind of, can't 
rule out the idea that, you know, enough people believing, you know, in something like can kind of make it, you know, like a tulpa. Yeah. People, enough belief starts actually manifesting and creating it because for all we know, Mm -hmm. reality is completely malleable. And I mean, we could essentially create our reality through thoughts and through perception. (laughs) Mm hmm. Yep, yep, and you know, I think that's a big. It's even part of you know, you know, a lot of religions to look at things that way. So, and whatever belief background you have, you just you kind of incorporate stuff to fit into that paradigm and matter of perspective on what you're seeing, like all the native creatures being perceived as demons or this or that, um, Mm -hmm. versus even people with like who are you know heavily religious believing that extraterrestrials now are like demons and things like that. It just, it all fits in your paradigm in some way, shape or form, but regardless of what belief and background you're coming from, there is a weird phenomenon happening and there is some type of weird creature that's existing. And it's just a matter of which box you want to try to put it into. (laughs) Right. Right. And definitely like the Indians, like the, um, when they first encountered, um, the Jesuits in, um, in Canada and, well, and, and, upper like New York area um, that when the priests came over and they had like their little kits to like do communion and all this kind of stuff they the um, uh, indigenous people there like weren't too sure that the um, Jesuits weren't um, demons or you know, to them, they thought what the what the priests were doing was seemed like um, witchcraft. So you know, so it's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, it seemed like it definitely. You know, you can see how it would seem like a lot of like magic. You know, who do kind of stuff like you know, we're gonna turn this water into uh, uh, this wine into blood and you know all that like it's, it's could be a taken as being pretty uh out there i mean a lot of that stuff too could literally be a science that just wasn't understood at the time so i mean like you take wine and maybe you add something to it and it coagulates and looks like blood and then there you go you just did some type of witchcraft when realistically all you did was add like a certain herb to a wine and then it totally changed to like the the matter of the substance, you know, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Thicken it up a bit. Add some flour to it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, um, uh, oh, anyway, back to the the black dogs. Yes, that's definitely like a uh, you know a real archetype of of you know ghost slash cryptid, and we definitely definitely in force here um there was uh, there's also um something called a dueo um which um was said to be in frederick county um and this was somewhere around 1970 ish um and it was reported in the local newspaper that um a man had called the police um, and said that um, he had just gotten into like a fist fight with like this creature that he called a dueo on his property. Um, and it sort of snowballed after that. The newspaper kind of ran with it and kept, um, you know, uh, 
going around and interviewing people about what did they think about the Dwayo and had they seen one. And then some people were going to do a Dwayo hunt and try and track it down. And uh, that didn't quite get off the ground. Um, and uh, so it was kind of an unresolved um, uh, circumstance. Nobody really, uh, it was never really concluded if the guy um, even existed, the guy who said, um, supposedly called the police, or if it was someone's idea of a joke somewhere along the way. Um, there are definitely plenty of, always plenty of colorful characters around who, like, he may have been somebody who very well thought that he did fight a Dreo in his backyard. I mean, you may never even find that thing if you uh, start going into, like, the German folklore of it, that there was that guy who came who was supposedly, like, a wizard, had, like, the spell book, and could turn into this dog-like creature. So, I mean, like, if it is more on, like, the werewolf side than, like, the straight dog side, I mean, you may never find the thing because it's not going to be necessarily always in the dog form. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, definitely, like what he described, um, definitely, you know, sounded like a dog, what we call dog man, you know, today. So, um, who knows? I mean, there have been other reports, you know, over the years of people seeing something kind of like that um, in kind of the Frederick County, Catoctin Mountain kind of area. So, who knows? I mean, that associates with a lot of native stuff, too, because you have like the I don't remember what the native word for it is, but there was the English variation because I couldn't say the correct word, which I think was like oolong dog or something like that. But they start calling it the long dog, which essentially is this like wolf or werewolf dog man like creature that would give off this like sulfur smell. And they said it could change its form into like the form of like a human and stuff. So it's just like, that's something that I feel exists in again, folklore, a little bit of everywhere that the natives had their variation. You even had like the Sioux dogmen warriors that they said would literally turn into dogs. And then going into Europe, you have all the werewolf culture. So it's like, mm-hmm. you have two sides of that too. So it's like, maybe there's a possibility of it, mm-hmm. or there's always the option that I usually say on the show that again, perception is malleable. So, if there are creatures like this, like skinwalkers are another kind of example of it. I don't think that they're necessarily completely changing their form, but rather maybe they have this understanding on how to change somebody's perception of what they're seeing. So rather than them actually twisting and contorting and turning into a dog, rather they're wearing like a dog skin and they're able to change people's perception of what they're seeing, thinking that they're seeing a dog in front of them when it's actually a person wearing like a dog fur on their back, for example. Right, right. That's a cool concept. Definitely, definitely. Especially being in the dark, too. Because, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these encounters have happened at night. If you see somebody crawling around the ground wearing a dog fur, you know, you're going to be like, wow, that's a weird-looking dog. I need to get away from this thing. Uh uh Definitely. I know I have a really good imagination that's just, like, ready to fill in the blanks anytime, you know. Especially in the dark, the human brain will start filling in gaps really quick. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. That's for sure. One of the other uh, kind of classic um, and more well-known um, uh, cryptids in uh, the Western Maryland area is, of course, the Snallygaster. Um, and that story originated in um, 1909. And the, um, it was reported um, right after the um, there had been a big outbreak of Jersey Devil sightings um, 
up um, in that area. And then um, the Middletown Valley Register in Frederick County kind of jumped on the bandwagon, except there, at first they said it was the Jersey Devil heading towards um, Maryland. Um, but then they went on to change it into like a totally different independent uh, creature. Um, it was a very large um, uh flying dragon-like creature um and um a description of it let's see it was a creature with uh, enormous wings a long pointed tail a long pointed bill four legs with claws like steel hooks a screech like a locomotive whistle a pointed tail 20 feet long um, and the newspaper um, in Middletown reported that um, this, on its way to um, the Middletown Valley in Frederick County, um, that it had already that it had killed a man, um, and it said um, that it had punctured the man's jugular vein, carried him off, punctured his jugular vein, and sucked out all his blood, and then tossed his body off the hillside it's the new england chupacabra (laughs) (laughs) maybe so (laughs) western maryland chupacabra um and they there were quite a lot of articles about it and of course it was uh picked up and uh reported um all over the area um and Eventually, um, a couple months after um, the creature was first reported on, um, it was said to have, um, after attacking uh, some folks at um, uh, uh, the train depot um, in Emmitsburg, in a different part of the county, it had kind of flown off, um, but it had... Uh, laid eggs somewhere in um, the area so you know it was kind of a da, da, da. set out a search party everybody's looking for some snallygaster yeah. eggs <laughs> yeah. but um, the the thing about um, the snallygaster was um, uh, there's a there's a lot of you know the legend of you know that um, there was the Snallygaster and, you know, it was very cool looking how they described it and um, all kinds of colorful stories associated with it. Um, However, the um, first article that um, the Middletown Valley Register published about the Snallygaster when it was saying that it was on its way and heading for the area, for this area, um, the headline was literally um, uh, the headline was the colored people are in great danger um, and it turned out that according to the Middletown Valley Register the Snallygaster only ate black people specifically black men um, specifically black men who might be wanting to vote because they could vote at the time. 
um, and um, they were strongly encouraged to stay home and um, because this uh, dangerous creature was out there uh, just waiting to eat them. And um, manipulating that, folklore yeah. into your own malicious needs and wants of society. Right. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't even know that part about the Snally Guys. So that's something new I didn't actually know before. Yeah. That actually, there is no record of the Snallygaster before um, 1909. Um, it was, this was literally the Snallygaster. It was cre uh, created by this newspaper, by the editor and reporter at the, at the Milltown Valley Register, who later admitted that they made it up. They didn't say why, but... Um, it got enough of national attention, though, that even, like, I, I know I've said it a bunch of times with Teddy Roosevelt on the show being, like, the cryptid hunter, but Teddy Roosevelt wasn't looking for the Jersey Devil, and he went looking for the Snallygaster. <laughs> that there was, like, something reported um, that um, the government was going to send a troop of United States soldiers and a Gatling gun to the area uh, to hunt the creature, and... Um, and it was reported that President Roosevelt was so anxious to see the monster, he may postpone his African trip until it can be captured. Can't send in the cavalry without Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, guess not. And um, that was in 1909. In 1932, the legend was revived and um, kind of to coincide with the end of Prohibition. Um, and, um, the editor, um, at the Valley Register, the fun spoiling editor at the Valley Register, um, they, they were, um, pro, basically like prohibitionists. They supported prohibition. Um, so, um, the Snallygaster, um, reappeared in 1932, like a couple, like, Right about the time when um, the Volstead Act was repealed uh, and um, prohibition was going to end um, uh, in 1933, and the Snallygaster um, ended up at a moonshine still drinking uh, moonshine and accidentally fell in and died in the. Um, moonshine still um after so, first going blind of course <laughs> <laughs> definitely so so at, at that point that was the demise of the the snaily gaster um but of course the legend has lived on and most people who you know hear about the snaily gaster it, you know it seems like uh, you know, a fun monster because it's this huge, you know, flying, wacky thing. There was uh, like a newspaper um, did like um, had a drawing of the Snallygaster riding a bicycle. And it was just like all kinds of crazy stuff, <laughs> you know. It was like kind of a goofy, lunkhead, lovable kind of monster. But, and like very few people like know of the actual origins of it um you know and 
you know, so like the Snallygaster, as we know him today, like for, you know, almost everybody who's ever learned, heard of the Snallygaster doesn't know the origin story. And so it's, he has like a separate life aside from it's, you know, his terrible, shameful creation origin story. You know, this, there's, he was kind of like a, became like a crowdsourced monster, kind of, you know, because um, the legend got elaborated on and, you know, his appearance would be changed by, you know, different stories. And, um, but, uh, and, you know, he had one eye in the middle of his forehead at one point and, you know, so he's he's still you know kind of revered as a you know a lovable kind of you know legend kind of a cryptid aside from you know in a way it's kind of become separated from that original snallygaster that was created by the middletown valley register in 1909 um some true American folklore. It's like a mixture of everything, but it's kind of, it's a good thing in my opinion that it got pulled away from the negative connotation of it. Cause now it's something that new generations of folklore slash cryptid researchers can enjoy um, without necessarily it being instantly attached to the negative side of what it was representing at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yep. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to cancel the Snelly or anything. But it is good, like, for people to, you know, know, you know, where stories can originate sometimes. But, um, yeah, you know, the ideal thing would have been if it would have, like, like come to life and, like, gone after the editors who created them. That would have, that would have been fun. <laughs> that that would have just been karma at its finest in all fairness yes. <laughs> you created me so now i must destroy you <laughs> yeah it's kind of a typical m- moment in american folklore just with as with you know lots of american history it's just like a lot of dark ugliness there you know darkness and hidden just, underneath the surface yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or, or not so. In this case, there was, you know, a blaring headline <laughs> that was elaborated on at great length um, throughout, you know, the articles. But, yeah, I mean, America, you know, we just have a lot of problematic history and a lot of our good history is still tainted with, you know, we have George Washington, but he had slaves, you know, so. It's just, Thomas Jefferson being known yeah. to regularly have intercourse and children with his slaves. So yeah. like that, that's something that gets left out of history a lot too, is how many people of African descent actually have lineage with Jefferson. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, there are just a lot of dark blots on American history, you know, it's, wasn't Washington's teeth too? They weren't actually like wood, like everybody thought they were. Didn't didn't he have like dentures made out of like slave teeth too? He had yes, like um, enslaved people and and free black people too. I assume you know could, could actually sell their teeth. Um, and um, Washington definitely had teeth that um, had been um, pulled out of. Um, I enslaved or maybe in some cases free 
Blackman's mouth, yes. <laughs> Something that will yes. definitely get left out of history. They want everybody to believe he had yeah. a wooden set of teeth instead of actually realizing the truth that more than likely his full denture set was probably pulled from his slaves that he owned at the time directly. <laughs> he had, he, I think he tried everything, anything, you know, like that, I mean, that was like cutting edge, you know, then I'm sure. Um, he had like a lot of um, interactions with dentist particularly you know one that he counted on um you know where he was just desperate you know to to do anything for teeth uh, <laughs> you know they must have been very very much plagued by you know by dental pain and uh, i know. mean on top of just the republic figure of course you want to be able to present yourself mm -hmm. without trying to mm -hmm. hide your mouth or not you know yeah. let people see your teeth you want to be able to smile at the mm -hmm. public you know kind of hard to do yes. if half your teeth are missing or rotted out <laughs> yeah i could i could see how it could make you pretty grumpy <laughs> <laughs> couldn't have been fun having teeth implanted mm -hmm. i mean it's not fun today <laughs> like when they when they do stuff like that yeah back then it was a lot more uh, gritty like they're probably taking literally some type of adhesive and putting it right into the holes in your gums where the previous teeth were like and they probably didn't stay in very well they probably weren't comfortable you'd probably oh, no. eat and your teeth would shift and fall back out and you'd have to get them re-put back in yeah. like ugh, just mm -hmm. imagine that on top of the fact that again you yeah. have people's teeth from other people's mouths that you're putting in the holes where your teeth should yeah. be <laughs> yeah and I think they like I think Washington might have had like some metal hinges and the stentures and, and just awful awful stuff. <laughs> awful yeah so uh but, yeah <laughs> i uh i guess with that um i always like to do words of wisdom before we start wrapping everything up uh so if there's any words of wisdom uh you'd like to bestow on the listeners what might it be um Definitely take care of your teeth. <laughs> Number one, first Learn and foremost. From our founding fathers, very important. Um, and um, I would just say, like, if you just, you could just find the most fascinating things that you could ever possibly read by reading old, like, first-person accounts uh, in history, you know, of whether it be of people, you know, in the wagon trains heading west or people, you know, who, um, you know, came to Jamestown or to New England or people who were accused of being witches or just your average things in old newspapers. Like so many amazing stories that will make you think differently about American history and what life was like and um, how, how good we have it, many of us today, even on our worst days, we have it a lot better than a lot of early people, you know, in this country. Keep uh, true history and folklore alive. That's kind of what I try to Definitely. do a lot on the show is just if you keep these stories in circulation, then they won't end up getting lost to time and you give them a new medium to exist in instead of just being in an old book exactly. that might get put on a shelf completely forgotten about. Bring it into the digital future and have it in right. podcasts, have it in digital books, like just keep the folklore and everything alive because if not, it's just going to get lost into time like everything else. There you go. Definitely. And uh, with that, too, uh, if anybody wants to pick up any of your books, uh, possibly contact you about maybe sharing some uh, 
local stories from Maryland, anything like that. Uh, where can people find you on the internet and where can people find your books on the internet? Um, people can contact me probably easiest on Instagram. Um, and um, you can look for Susan Fair on Instagram. Um, my at is Sukafa, S-U-C-A-F-A, first two letters, letters of my initials is what that is. Um, and um, you can find my email address there as well. And I love to hear from anyone, anytime. And um, my books always ideal to go through local booksellers, um, but also convenient. Um, they're all available on Amazon, too. Perfect. And I thank you so much for having me, and thanks to anybody listening, and it's super fun to talk about history and weirdness. The intersection of history and weirdness is awesome. Oh, absolutely. It's that's my bread and butter, of course. And uh, of course, I will include all of your links on the show description so everybody can find everything really quick and easy. And uh, I really appreciate you making the time to come on. This has been a great conversation. And I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you next year at one of Dave's events in West Virginia slash Maryland. For sure. The Snarly Yow. We know so much more about the Snarly Yow now. (laughs) I know for sure I'll be at the Halloween event. So at least maybe I'll see you there if you're vending there. So. Absolutely. If I'm not vending, I'll be shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, if you're there, I'll have to contact you ahead of time. Uh, Maybe then I can pick up a signed copy of one of your books uh, next time I get to go and see you in West Virginia, too. Excellent. Excellent. I look forward to it. Great. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify or whatever other podcatcher that you use. And of course, you guys can also share the show through word of mouth. I think somebody might really enjoy this episode. You guys can share it with them directly, or you guys can go on the YouTube or the TikTok, uh, share some different clips of the show. Maybe you can get somebody interested off of watching a little short form version of the show. But anything you guys do, greatly appreciate it. And if you don't do any of that, I just appreciate that you guys are listening to the show. And if anybody has an encounter to report, no matter how big, no matter how small, you guys can report that to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys know the link tree, and there is a specific submission form for that. And uh, if you guys want to get a hold of me for any other reason whatsoever, you guys can do so through social media. Instagram is the one that I'm the most active on, or Facebook. Or you guys can also email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form for that. Uh, there is two separate submission forms, so make sure you guys click on the right one. And of course, make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders because I do respond to every single message that I get. But due to the fact that I send out a lot of links for the show, a lot of the time my stuff gets pushed to the spam or junk folders. But anyways, just make sure you guys check, of course, because I don't want anything to get missed going back and forth with you guys. But uh, everything that I mentioned is all available on the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.